and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part five of his series, Don't Be That Guy. Good morning, Faith Church. Hey, man, it's great to see everybody here. Thanks so much for being a part of our weekend worship experience here at Faith Church. My name is Steve Husky, and I'm the lead pastor. And again, just want to say welcome to everybody, especially our Faith Church family. We're glad that you're here this weekend, but we don't want to forget our guests. We're so glad that you decided to join us for the first time. Those who are watching online as well, welcome to Faith Church. As always, man, our desire is that you'll not just sit in a building, sit in a chair, and hear a message, but our real desire is that God will speak to your heart and he'll change your life. We just believe that God is our answer to every problem. If you need strength or hope or peace or joy, whatever it is, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. So open up your heart, allow God to speak to you, allow God to change you and challenge you. It's going to be a great day. Amen? Come on, one more time. Can we lift up our hands for Jesus? Just give him some love. Well, listen, guys, uh, we're going to finish off our series that we started several weeks ago entitled, Don't Be That Guy. Everybody say it with that emphasis. Don't be that guy. Again, it's kind of a cultural phrase that when you find somebody living outside of the cultural norm or doing something that kind of is unacceptable or dumb or just shouldn't be done, kind of the phrase is, hey, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that does that. Don't be the guy that acts that way in the office, in the classroom, in the relationship. You don't want to be that guy. And so for the last several weeks, what we've done is we've looked at several stories found in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in the New of some guys that have behaviors, that have attitudes, that have actions that God kind of calls out and challenges us as Christ followers that we don't want to be that guy. So today as we end the series, I want to kind of open up with something that will maybe help us out a little bit. I know that this is not a restaurant in the area, but how many people have maybe eaten at a restaurant called Buca de Beppo? Anybody here eat at this? This is, this is it. There, I know there's none locally, but there's one in Franklin, Tennessee. If you've not been there, you need to be there. If you've not gone there, you need to get there because the food there is amazing. It's great Italian food. Uh, there was one outside of the city we pastored for almost 12 years um, up in Pittsburgh, and we passed by it a lot of times, never went into it. And finally, one week, we had to go up and pick some friends up that were actually on staff with us, and my wife and I, Shauna, we drove up to pick them up from the Pittsburgh airport, and I thought, hey, I'm going to buy them dinner. You know, we're going to grab lunch together, we're going to hang out, and it's on me. So we walked in for the first time into Bucas. We walked in, it was kind of busy, and uh, we waited for a minute, and so they ultimately took us to our table. And again, I know most of us have not been there, but for most of us, again, when you walk in, it's not just an open seating kind of format. There is some open seating, but there are a lot of little side rooms. So you've got to kind of follow your host, and it's kind of like, you know, you're a rat in a maze. You've got to make sure you follow them so you can get there. You want to make sure you drop breadcrumbs to the bathroom so you can get there. And so as we're walking back, I'm at the end of the line. It's the hostess leading the way, then, you know, my wife and this couple, and I'm all the way at the end. And as we're walking into the restaurant, I happen to notice that they have, like, this price menu written on the walls. And I'm just going to tell you, what happened to catch my attention was potatoes for $10, 
And I started doing some quick math, and I thought $40 for potatoes, and this is the truth. When she took a left to take us to our table, I took a right, and I cut back out, and I just walked out of the restaurant. I'm not proud of it. I'm cheap. What can I say? I thought, man, we, we can go to, like, KFC all-you-can-eat buffet that includes the potatoes for, like, $8.95 apiece. So I'm outside, and this, they're coming out, and they're like, hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? I said, listen, we're not eating here. Did y'all see on the menu? It's, it's like $10 for potatoes. And what I didn't know was that it's a family-style restaurant, which means you get, like, bowls of stuff, and you get to share it and serve it. So at that point, I was too embarrassed to go back in. So we didn't eat there. Uh, listen, you all got your own shameful stories. Listen, I just have to share mine. So I did have the opportunity to go back several times now and eat at Abuka's. And um, one of the last times I was there, I was there with a group of pastors. And while we were there, we went into a room. And every, every Buka, if you, again, if you've not been there, you need to go. This is what we were told by one of the managers, is that every restaurant, they spend $1 million on bric-a-brac that's on the walls. Every Buka has a room called the Pope Room. True story. So while you're sitting there eating, um, the, the Pope will look at you, and you can see kind of all the kind of the Catholic stuff. And so we're sitting there, and I sit down. There's probably four or five other pastor friends of mine. We're, we've ordered our food, and kind of everybody has this idea. I'm going to get this, and you get that, and we'll share because it's family style. And so the waitress comes out and starts delivering these big bowls of food. So this friend of mine sitting across from me, this is what he says when his bowl of food shows up. He says, man, this stuff's legit. I'm not sharing mine. And I kind of got an attitude right away because I thought he's got lots of food and I thought the idea was for us to share. And so everybody passes their bowl and he doesn't pass his bowl. And so I'm not really happy about it. So at some point I just said, hey man, are you, you going to share? And he's like, no man, I told you this is, this is mine. I'm eating this. And I, I just had to ask myself a question. It's probably not a good idea to get in a fist fight in public, especially if you're a group of pastors. And I'm not sure how it affects eternity to do it in front of the Pope. So I, I maintained a level of restraint, but the whole time I was just kind of bothered because here's why. He had more food than he can eat, and he didn't pay for it. We were on someone else's dime, so it was free. He had more than he could eat, and he refused to share. And the reason I share that story is because I think that for all of us in this room that have made a decision to be Christ followers, that we have something else in our life that's more than we could ever use, and we didn't pay for it, and for some reason... We have a really hard time sharing it. What I want to talk about today is grace. That we have, as Christ followers, a lot of grace. The Bible says where our sin abounds, grace does much more abound, which means you can, you, can never, you can never wear out the grace of God. That God's grace is bigger than all of our struggles, all of our issues. He's bigger than all of your issues and all of our issues combined. God's grace is greater. And not only do we have an unlimited amount of grace, we didn't pay for it. It was free. And so if you're not familiar with really what grace is or a very simple definition, this is it. Grace, it's undeserved and unearned love and favor. It's undeserved. It's unearned. Like, we don't, we don't really deserve the grace that God gives us. We really deserve judgment. We're going to get there in a minute. But we just, at the end of the day, we just don't deserve grace. And we could never earn it. You, we can't work for it. We can't be good enough for it. We can't teach enough, serve enough. We can't park enough cars, hold enough babies. We can't serve enough in our community. The grace that God so graciously gives all of us, we don't deserve it. And we can never earn it, but God gives it anyways. And so not only because God gives it to us, like should we hold on to it, but God wants us to be people that pass it on. 
So God wants us to take the grace that he's given us that we don't deserve, that we couldn't earn, and God wants us to give it to other people that don't deserve it and could never earn it. And for some reason, even though God is so gracious with the amount of grace that he gives us and it doesn't cost us anything, for some reason, man, we're like that guy with the big bowl at Buka, and we just refuse to share. We refuse to pass it on. So what I want to do today as we end this series, I want to look at a story, a parable specifically that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18. And in this parable, before we get there, let me just give some backdrop because Jesus, he spends a few minutes talking about what do you do when a fellow Christian offends you, hurts you, sins against you. Jesus kind of goes into this, into this topic saying, hey, if you're hurt by somebody, if you're offended by somebody, if somebody takes advantage of you, if a fellow Christian sins against you, what do you do? And Jesus goes into this teaching, and I'll just give you a couple takeaways. This is not the message, but it could be the message, and it's important that I just hit on it for a minute. So the cliff notes are basically this, that if somebody sins against you, if a brother or sister in Christ, if a fellow Christ follower hurts your feelings, does something behind your back, a couple things. First of all, that we give them a conversation, not condemnation. Like you can condemn them, shut them down, give them the stiff arm. But Jesus says, hey, you need to give them a conversation. You need to go face-to-face. And that conversation needs to be to their face, not behind their back. So you don't go to other people and say, hey, this is what they did to me. You need to, you know, you need to reject them because I'm rejecting them. We need to go to them. And the goal of that conversation when we go to them is not to win the argument, but to win the relationship. So that means sometimes even though you've been the one that's hurt, you've got to bend a little bit to make sure that there's reconciliation and there's peace between us. So on the heels of this conversation, on the heels of that teaching, Peter steps up, and this is where the story picks up. Peter hears this teaching on kind of what to do when someone hurts you or someone offends you. And this is the question. I love this because anytime Peter talks, you got to know this. Anytime Peter begins to talk, you got to pay attention because he either says something incredibly profound or incredibly stupid. And it's entertaining either way. And so here he thinks he says something really profound, but you'll see how Jesus responds to him. So on the heels of the teaching, what do you do? When someone offends you, when a brother or sister in Christ hurts your feelings, this is what Peter says. Then Peter came to him and asked, hey, Lord, hey, Jesus, that's a great teaching. Let me just ask you a question. How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Like, so if someone hurts me, like, how many times do I keep forgiving them? Now, the teaching of the day, uh, rabbis at that time taught that you would forgive somebody three times, and if they did something the fourth time, you cut them off. You only had to forgive someone three times which some of you don't seem surprised, but that's more than you forgiven people. But anyways, so I love Peter because Peter's like, what he does is he takes the modern kind of standard of three and he doubles it and adds one. So you have to picture, to me, this is how Peter came off. He's like, uh, hey, um, Jesus, I just got a question. Uh, how many times do you think we should forgive somebody? Um, I mean, I would say seven, but what would you say? I think what he's hoping for is that that, that Jesus is going to be like, oh, Peter, why, why can't all the disciples be as gracious as you? I mean, wow. But the question that, that really that Peter's asking and that Jesus answers in this teaching is, here's the question is, how far should grace go? Where, where does grace run out? Where does grace stop? Where do we stop forgiving people? Where do we, like, where's the end? Is it after two times? After, is it after three times? Is it after seven times? And Jesus, he answers the question, and listen to what he says here. Read it with me. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 
Are you kidding me, Jesus? See, Jesus is saying he's not really giving a number for you that are maybe quick in math or slow in math, 490 times. He's not saying that you keep track, that if people hurt your feelings one times, 10 times, 100 times, that when you get to 491, like that's it. So the rabbis taught three, four, that's it. Jesus, Peter's like seven. When you get to eight, that's it. Jesus is not saying when you get to 491, that's it. He's giving such a large number. Here's what his point is. When we ask the question, how far is too far? How much is too much? When do we, like, when do we say, that's it, I'm done with you? When do we cut it off? His answer is never. His answer really is grace is always enough. That grace always goes further than the hurt. Grace always goes further than the offense. Grace always goes further than the sin. Now, I, just, I know how you are because I'm the same way. I've been hurt by people. I've been taken advantage of by people. I've been talked behind my back the same way you've been talked behind your back. And so maybe it's not the number of times. Maybe it's not the quantity of offense. Maybe it's the quality of offense. Maybe you were only hurt once, but you were hurt deep. And when I start talking about someone offending you or hurting you or sinning against you, a lot of us in this room or you're watching online, like immediately you can think of a person. Like that's the first thing that came to mind is this person and what they did to you and how they hurt you, and how they took advantage of you. And so all of us in this room, or at least many of us, we have a story. So when we hear Jesus tell us, hey, like, grace just keeps going. Like, grace is always enough. Like, right away, we want to tell our story, and we want to tell our story in a way it's like, we don't want to argue with Jesus because he's Jesus. But it's almost a counter. Come on, Jesus, do you mean I have to forgive them? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how they hurt me? And so before we can tell our story... To reject what Jesus is saying, Jesus quickly tells us his story. And this is where it picks up. This is good. Jesus goes on and immediately, in response to Peter's question, he tells this parable. Watch this. He says, therefore, read it with me, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who's decided to bring his accounts, we're going to come back to this word, who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Now, this is real cool. Oftentimes when Jesus is telling parables, he starts with there was a king, there was a rich man that went away for a season. He's always talking about God the Father. So just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it away early. He's talking when there's a king, he's talking about the Father. And he says, watch this, the kingdom of heaven can be compared. So here's what he's saying. He's saying God, God is a king. Can we just get an amen there? Y'all got to make some noise for me. God is the king of kings. And because God is a king, God has a kingdom, and in his kingdom are rules. How he operates, what's inbounds, what's out of bounds, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. And when the Bible, when Jesus teaches these parables, oftentimes you'll hear him say things like, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. What he's saying is, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how God operates, if you want to know how his kingdom is, he's saying this is how his kingdom is. There's a king who keeps accounts. Now, this is important because as Christ followers, how many of us know if you're here and you're, you're just kind of searching and you're not really sure about this Jesus thing, this parable is giving you an inside look at who God is and what God is like and how his kingdom operates. But it's not enough for it to be like a kingdom out there or up there. How many people know that Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, pray this way, your kingdom come. Come on, what's the next line? Your will be done. God's saying, I don't want you just to get an idea what my kingdom's like. I want, you to, I want you to be that kingdom too. 
I want you to operate by the same rules that God operates. Now, it's not, it's not natural. It doesn't come easy. But God's saying, I want to let you know what the kingdom's like. And then as you follow me, I want you to be the kingdom. I want you to live the way the kingdom is. And so I want you to know up front, this is not easy to walk out. But it is nonetheless the expectation of Jesus of what we do with the grace that we're given. So he says again, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the, process of, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in, check this out, who owed him millions of dollars. Now, none of you laughed. I promise you in this time, Jesus, some of y'all don't think Jesus, Jesus is being funny here. In fact, he might even did the millions of dollars. He's saying, Jesus is telling a story, and he's saying, hey, there was a king, and he, had a, he was like going through the books, finding out who owed him money, and he came across one of his servants, and this servant owed him millions of dollars. I mean, there's no, way a, there's no way a servant could ever borrow that much. But the point of Jesus pulling out this astronomically large number, it's hyperbole. It's exaggerated speech. It's to show us how big his debt was. It's a debt this guy had over his head. And watch how the story keeps going. Watch this. Read it with me. He couldn't, y'all got to say it, he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, this is what was culturally acceptable. If you owed somebody money and you couldn't repay them when the, when the debt came due, they would take you and they would begin to sell off your property. They would sell off your house. They would sell off what you own. If it wasn't paid up by then, they would sell off your kids, then your spouse, and ultimately yourself. They would sell you into slavery in order to try to recoup some of the debt. I don't know about you guys, but if they came to my house, I'd be like, listen, let me keep my car and my PlayStation. You can have the rest. <laughs> Wife and kids, baby, as long as I got my car and my... Did I say that out loud? I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> so this is what's about to happen, but I want you to notice this. The reason the king said, listen, uh, we're going to sell everything off is because, say it one more time, he couldn't pay. I want everybody to know something. I've already told you who the king is. The king in this story is God the Father. If you've not picked up yet who he's talking about as the servant who owes this monstrous debt, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. Now, you may not realize it, or you may not be clear yet, or you may be unsure how you could ever owe any kind of debt to God. But I want everybody to know this, even though we struggle to get there, the Bible's abundantly clear that God teaches that all of us are sinners. All of us have a sin debt to God. All of us have messed up. All of us have made mistakes. Like, we may feel like a good person, but I want you to know something. The Bible's clear in James chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says, if you've broken just one of God's laws, you're as guilty as someone who's broken all of them. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For we have all sinned. Grandma sinned. Your pastor, he sinned. Your Sunday school teacher, you thought Miss McGillicuddy, she was as pure as the white driven snow, she sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so all of us have this sin debt. And remember I told you this word, the king had an account? See, we get this picture in Scripture that like God is aware. God is aware of our struggles. God knows. God knows your sins. God knows your mistakes. So your teacher may not know, student, that you plagiarized that paper and turned it in with your name on it, but God knows. Wife, your husband may not know that you're flirting, but God knows. 
No one else may know that you have a pill addiction and, or a drinking problem, but God knows. You can, you can like close the windows and pull the blinds and your neighbor can't hear you screaming, but God can hear you. You might clear your cash and no one else knows where you've been at on the web, but God knows. The pride that just popped up in your heart because I didn't list something that you struggle with, God knows that too. <laughs> See, it's like God is letting us know that he keeps accounts and every one of us in this room, we have a sin debt and I want you to know something. We can't pay it. It's way too big. We can't serve enough, give enough. We can't put enough money in the offering. There's nothing we can do. And so this guy knows that there's, there's no hope for him. In this desperation, he says, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Again, he, there's no way he could pay it all. And here's the beauty, of the beauty of the story. Here's where a climax is right here. Read it with me. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave him his debt. Y'all got to make some noise here today. I'm going to read it one more time. He released him and forgave his debt. The king is God, and we are the servant with the debt. And I got great news because I remember when it happened to me, and I walk in it. God released me and forgave my debt. I wish somebody was here that would make some noise because you know God released you and forgave your debt. Woo! You know what he gave him? Grace. He didn't deserve it, and he could never earn it. He could never earn the forgiveness the king gave him. He didn't deserve it. He, de he deserved to be sold into slavery. He deserved to have, every have everything he had sold off. But because the king is a gracious king, the king gave undeserved and unmerited love and favor. And here, here's the question for you, and here's where we're going to go for the last half of this, is, is what do you do? What should be our response when we receive that kind of grace? When God forgives us a debt that we could never pay, like what should our response be? What should your response be? I can't speak for you personally. We're going to talk about what Jesus says. But I can just tell you, like, for our, for our community, for our faith community, for our church, I just want you to know something, that I think we should be people that celebrate grace and we pass grace on. Because God has given us so much grace, we want to make sure that we're passing that grace on to other people. Which means when there's people that walk through these doors or pull on our campus that we don't like the way they're dressed, we don't like the music they're listening to, we don't like the words that's coming out of their mouth, maybe we know things about them that we don't agree with, that instead of giving them judgment and condemnation, we give what the Father gave us, we give them grace. Because I just think we should be a culture, we should be a community, we should be a church that we celebrate like this tremendous idea of grace. One of the things that marks us as a church is that, that our worship experiences are marked by celebration. I know the music's loud. It's loud on purpose. I know the music's upbeat. It's upbeat on purpose. I know the worship team are jumping and celebrating. It's that way on purpose because we have something to celebrate. We got something that we didn't deserve and we couldn't earn. And we are here each and every worship time to celebrate the grace that God has given us. So I just want to challenge you. If God has given you grace, if he forgave you a debt you couldn't pay, if he gave you what you couldn't earn and what you couldn't deserve, I want to invite you every time we get together, let's join in the celebration together. Don't stand with your arms folded and your hands in your pocket and refusing to move your mouth. Let's sing and shout. We keep it loud so I don't have to hear you and you don't have to hear me, but the Father can hear all of us. Amen. Woo! So we want to celebrate. But here's the question. 
Again, I can tell you as the pastor of Faith Church what my expectation and the hope is for Faith Church. But Jesus speaks to us not just as a community. Jesus speaks to us in this parable to us individually. And so this guy who is forgiven, again, it's us. This is who he's talking about. It's us. We were forgiven this huge debt. Watch how the man responds. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him, come on, say it, a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Notice the contrast. Notice the contrast. He owed owed the king millions of dollars and was forgiven. He immediately leaves the presence of the king and he goes and finds someone who owes him only a few thousand dollars. And he demands payment. I, I want my money now. I don't want you to miss what Jesus is teaching. Have you ever noticed the way we are that we want grace, but we... We want people to give us grace, but we want to give everyone else judgment, right? If we cut someone else off on accident, which it happens, if we cut someone else off on accident, like we want them, oh, sorry, someone cuts us off, we're calling them number one from here to eternity. If the light turns green and we're paying attention to our phone, right, we want grace, oh, sorry. But when someone's in front of us and they don't go when light turns red, I want you to know something in this story as you watch it unfold because it's a, it's a principle that Jesus is teaching that's abundantly clear. Is that even though we are people that we want grace from others for our mistakes and we want to give other people judgment for their mistakes, Jesus' teaching is something that's so clear that you can either get grace and give grace or you can get judgment and give judgment, but you can't have it both ways. And so something has to change. Let's keep giving each other judgment, but then let's expect that God's, that's what he's going to give us. Or let's celebrate the grace that God's given us and let's pass it on to others. But again, we cannot have it both ways. So again, it says that this guy, he grabbed this other servant by the throat. Keep going. It says his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it. I don't know if you recognize this, but this is the exact same sentence that this servant asked the king. And when this servant asks his fellow servant, he doesn't get undeserved and unmerited love and favor. He gets this right here. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He refused to give. He refused to give the same grace that was given to him. Now, I I get it. See, because here's the crazy thing about grace. It's so easy to receive, isn't it? But it's so hard to give away. And the reason it's hard to give away is because we have stories. Nobody knows your hurt as well as you. Nobody knows how bad you were offended, you were taken advantage of, but you. You know the home you were raised in and the parent that abandoned you. You know the spouse that hurt you and betrayed your trust. You know the friend that stabbed you in the back or stabbed you in the front. I know my bitterness like nobody else, and you know yours. And so that's why it's hard. This teaching, it just gets real sticky. But Jesus, be clear. He's saying, I've I've forgiven you this much, and the most anybody can ever hurt you is this much. And if I can forgive you this much, then you need to forgive others this much. If I've forgiven you millions of dollars, then you can forgive others thousands of dollars. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Check this out. When some of the other servants saw this, so there were a group of servants, 
that seen this man who owed millions of dollars get forgiven by the king, watched him leave the king's presence, go and find someone who owed him a few thousand dollars when he couldn't pay, threw him in prison, and they didn't like what they seen. The other servants saw this. They were very upset, and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Now, pull in. Does God know everything? Come on, does God know everything? Who's the king in the story? God. So I'm not really, it's, it almost seems weird. Why would Jesus point out that it, it had to take the other servants going to the king for him to know? Here's why. It's because, again, being people of the kingdom, we should want grace and we should give grace. In the standard of this house and the standard for God's people should be that when we see somebody else refusing to give grace, we should call them on it. We should have a conversation with them. Like the expectation is that we are people, when somebody else gives condemnation, when they got grace, we should call them on it. And so these other guys, they knew what the king was like. They knew he wasn't just gracious to this one man. They knew he was gracious to all of them. And so they, they went to the king and said, hey, that servant you forgave, he's not passing it on. He received grace and he's passing on judgment. I remember uh, several years ago, and I've had this experience a lot, and maybe you have as well. There was a guy that, uh, he was a great guy. We ended up being very good friends. But this guy named Brian, when he first showed up at our church, um, he was a good guy, but he had baggage like a lot of you had baggage and like I had baggage. And his baggage was heavy because he was married to a girl that was, I'm just crazy. That's just the word for it. If you don't like it, she's crazy. Actually, there's some other words in front of it, but I can't say it from the platform. So uh, she's just crazy. When I say crazy, I mean they would get together and they would make up. And then she would say, I'm divorcing you. And she would go take all his stuff and sell it his guns. She would clean out the safe. She would just go sell all his stuff. And then she would say, okay, I want to get back together. And he would forgive her. And he had done this several times until he was so hurt and hurt so deeply that he was like done. And when he showed up at our church, he was a person full of bitterness and hurt and anger. And man, he just had a hard time carrying himself. And I remember him and I connected and we started spending time together. And I'll never forget the morning that he lifted his hands and he he asked Jesus to come in and to forgive him of his huge debt. And he started walking, and you could see God changed his heart and God changed his life. You know people because you were one and I was one, where God gets a hold of our heart and he starts changing us, and we start walking in life and joy and peace. Like I could see it happen in Brian that he needed grace and God gave it to him. But then I'll never forget this one Sunday. I'm, service is over, and he comes up to me. He's like, hey, pastor, come here a minute. And I could tell like something had happened. And I'm like, what's going on? He said, did you see that guy in the back that was here today? I'm like, like I'm thinking this guy did something really bad. I'm like, no, why? What happened? He said, he's got a Budweiser shirt on. And I was, do you want me to say something to him? Because I just don't think he should wear a beer shirt to church. And I was, this is what I told my like, Brian, he can wear whatever he wants. Because as long as he's here, it's an opportunity for God to get a hold of his heart. I'd, wear, I'd rather him wear a beer shirt in church than wear a beer shirt and not come to church. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. I didn't say this first service, but let me say it while I'm here. I'd rather people wear hats in the sanctuary than not wear hats in the sanctuary at all because they're not coming to church. So everybody's like, you need to take the hat off. You need to put that on. You need to change that. You need to quit talking. Stop it. You were given a bunch of grace. Let's pass it on. So... So I grabbed Brian. I was like, listen, Brian, do you remember when you showed up at church? Do you remember how, remember your hurt? Remember how the bad attitude? He's like, yeah. I was like, listen, God gave you grace. Give that guy grace. And you could tell like it clicked. 
And there's something on the inside of us, again, where we want grace, but we want to pass on judgment. And that's exactly what happened. And the other servants called. And notice the king's response, because this is one of the most difficult parables that Jesus taught. Listen to this. Then the king called in the man who, had, uh, who, who he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. Come on, read it. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, now wait a minute. So, so, you're, so we're clear. This is a parable about God the Father forgiving me and forgiving you and his expectation that what we receive we pass on, that we give grace to people the same way we need grace, we give it. And when we refuse to give grace, notice the king's response. Notice the father's response. When we don't pass on what we receive, he withdraws his grace and he demands the debt be paid by us instead of forgiven by him. And so if you're here, let me just let you in on something. Are you saying, Pastor, wait a minute. Are you telling me that if I don't forgive somebody that God won't forgive me? Are you telling me that if I don't extend grace, God won't extend it to me? I'm just telling you what Jesus said because this is not the only place he taught it. Jesus very clearly said this, that if you do not forgive men their trespasses against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive yours. And so it's like, it's clear like, like we need grace and because we need grace, we receive it and we should pass it on because other people need grace just like we do. And if God forgave us this huge cosmic rebellion debt that we cause against him, then certainly even though we've been hurt, even though we've been offended, we can pass it on to other people. But here's what I want you to know today. Listen, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. So some of you are hearing saying, the reason I don't give grace is like I, I, I thought I prayed a prayer and I thought God forgave me. But here's what I know is this principle that you can't give what you don't have, it's throughout Scripture. Not only can you not give what you don't have, but you need to give what you've been given. I'll give you two examples. Check this out. Here's what Jesus told his disciples, whom he delivered, whom he set free, whom he healed. He tells them, hey, read it with me. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you've received. They received power, man. I'm telling you, God showed up in their life and healed them and delivered them and set them free. And because they received power, they knew they didn't earn what happened to them. They knew they didn't work for the deliverance they were walking in. They knew there was nothing they could do to buy the forgiveness that God gave them. And Jesus says, the same way I gave it to you, come on, somebody, give it to someone else. Pass it on. Here's another one. Watch this. In the book of Acts, there's a guy who is sick. He's lame. He's laying by the church entrance waiting for people to give him money so he can make a living, so he can buy what he needs. And you know how it is. Once you, once you make eye contact, you've got to do something. As long as you just like look straight ahead like you don't see him, it's all good. Make eye contact, you've got to do something. So Peter and John, they're walking into the church, and they make eye contact. It's on. This guy asked for money. I want you to notice what Peter says. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And the guy gets up, healed, and walks. Do you know why? He said, I can't give you what I don't have, but I'll give you what I got. If you're here saying, Pastor Steve, are you telling me I don't have grace? Here's what I want you to know is, I think a lot of us, we've gotten grace, but we don't really, we don't really think we needed grace. 
See, if you convince yourself, hey, I wasn't such a bad guy after all, I wasn't really that, you know, I mean, like I made some mistakes, but I mean, my life was pretty good. Like I wasn't as bad as a lot of people. If you tell yourself you weren't really all that bad of a person, then you didn't really receive grace because you can only receive grace when you believe I need it and I can't earn it and I don't deserve it. But if you convince yourself that you've earned it or you somehow didn't deserve it or didn't need it, then you really don't have grace. But when you realize like Paul that I'm the chief of sinners, like I am messed up, I have made mistakes. When you realize how desperately you needed grace, you'll realize that you can pass grace on because that's the only reason we're here is God's grace. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you that I blew it. I made big mistakes. I made lots of mistakes. I hurt people. I offended people. I talked behind their back, talked to their front. I violated people. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And I fell at his feet, and, and he had mercy on me. And some of you, you fell at his feet, and he had mercy on you. And because you didn't earn it, and because you didn't deserve it, you got grace. And now, we got to pass it on. And Jesus a lot of his parables, he kind of leaves like kind of hanging in the wind. Like go home, think about it. Go home, pray on it. Go home and chew on this. He doesn't with this one. Let me give you this right here. Giving grace. How do you know? I hear people say, how do I know I'm saved? Here's a great one. Giving grace to a person doesn't diminish what they have done to you, but magnifies what Christ has done for you. What I'm saying is, I'm not telling you to forget that you've been hurt. Someone's hurt you, someone's violated you, someone's taken advantage of you. I'm not telling you like to pretend it didn't happen. That's inhuman. That's not realistic. But what I'm telling you is, is not to make it about what they've done. Make it about what Christ has done for you. So I can give grace because God gave me grace. It's not forgetting what they've done. It's choosing to release them, to not hold them responsible. I'm going to leave that up to God. I'm not going to take revenge. I'm going to leave that up to God. I'm going to make room for revenge. If that's what God chooses... But how do, you know, how do you know if the gospel is working in your life? How do you know if this is making a difference? You know it because you become a person of grace. A couple things. He ends it this way. Jesus says, this is so powerful. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to give your brothers and sisters from your heart. It's like he's like, hey, let's, let's be clear. You don't need to go home and think about this. Let's just be real clear what I'm saying. If you needed grace and you came to me and asked for it, I would give it. But if I give it to you, you're responsible to give it to others. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. If you don't think you need forgiveness, that's why you're having a hard time passing it on. If you think somehow you earn God's love and favor, that's why you're having a hard time passing it on. But if you can really believe, I never earned it, and I don't deserve it, but God gave it, then we can look at people that's hurt us, offended us, backtracked on us, stabbed us, and look at them and say, they don't earn it. They don't deserve it. But I'm going to give it to them because my Father in heaven gave it to me. A couple of things you can write down as we start to wrap this up. What do we do with the grace that we received? Again, as a, as a community, as a church, we're going to celebrate together. We're going to extend it to people walking into this church, walking into these services. We're going to give grace. But individually, Grace doesn't demand repayment. If you get paid back for it, that's what justice is. That's what justice is. Justice is I got what was coming to me. They got what was coming to them. Grace doesn't demand 
repayment. Also, grace doesn't demand revenge. Revenge is judgment. Well, if you make it right, if you'll work through it, if you'll pay me back, then it's not really grace. Grace is, again, the same way the king, he forgave the debt and he released him to go free. You're free. It's as if you never sinned. That's what God does for us. The gospel can be seen clearly working in our lives when we give the grace, give grace to the person that's hurt us the most. You can see it working in your life when you give grace to the person who's hurt you the most. Here's the crazy thing about this story. It's it's powerful, it's profound, it speaks to all of us because many of us in this room have been hurt. Again, you can think of people right now. You can name them, you can think about them, you can see their their picture in your mind, like this is who they are, and you want to get even, you want them to somehow make it right. And God's calling you, man, to give them grace because he gave you grace. Forgiven people forgive people. And while this is powerful, here's what I really want us to hear today. And I've said everything I said to get us to this moment. To me, this kind of grace that Jesus is teaching, and I'm not at all correcting Jesus, but it's kind of this break glass in case of emergency grace. Like, hey, you've been hurt and you're bitter inside. This is what you do. You forgive because you are forgiven. What if we didn't just pull out this like big grace card when things got really bad? What if we just walked in grace every day? Like we just look for opportunity to extend grace. We look for opportunity to be like people don't earn it. They don't deserve it. We're going to let them cut in line in front of us. We're just going to be good to them. We're going to bless them. We're going to help them. What if we just walked in grace every day? What does the person do who's received grace? They pass it on. Not one time big opportunities when things are really bad, but every day, all the time, every opportunity. What would your life look like if you began to give grace? Because not only do forgiven people forgive people, but here's what I believe. I believe forgiven people tell people that need forgiveness where to find forgiveness. What if this guy like left the king and went out and started telling everybody what the king had done? You wouldn't believe it. Like I owed him millions of dollars and he forgave me. What if other servants, because remember how the story started? That the king opened up the books and started not looking at an account, started looking at accounts. Y'all got to say that, accounts. You know people that have an account with God that's overdue. It's a big debt. What if, what if the servant left saying, hey, he forgave me. Maybe he'll forgive you too. You got a big debt, man. I owed him millions and he forgave me. If he forgave me, maybe he'll forgive you. See, what would happen as a church if we left our gatherings where we celebrate God's grace and up and we started looking for other opportunities to pass it on? Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's the number one Sunday of the year that people with two things are most likely to accept an invite to church and most likely to accept an invite to give their lives to Christ. Which means next week, it's kind of the pivotal apex moment where people will experience life change. I want to invite you to be a part of it. Here's what I'm asking you to do is, I'm asking you this week to look for an opportunity, number one, to take personal responsibility to share your story. Share your story. Share how the king forgave you a debt that you couldn't pay. If you have coworkers, if you have classmates, if you have neighbors, I want you to look for an opportunity. You don't have to have all the answers to all the big, difficult questions. You don't have to have it all figured out. But here's what I know. A lot of you in this room, you have a story that you know you owed a big debt and God forgave you. I wish somebody would make some noise who's experienced the grace of God.
I want you to look for an opportunity. I want you to take personal responsibility to share your story. I want you to take personal responsibility to invite them, to invite them. I'm going to ask every person in this room to grab just, just at least one. I thought I had one up here. Grab one invite card. You can grab as many as you want. This, these are not to be put on windshields. These are not to be used as a tip unless you give a big, fat, generous tip. Like you get a $10 meal and you leave a $20 tip, then you can leave one. These are personal invite cards. Here's the goal. Don't just say, hey, I hope you come. Here's what you want to say. Starting next week, we're going back to three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Say it, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Is you want to hand someone a card and say, let me tell you what God's done for me. Man, I, I was struggling. I was in a bad place, and God showed up, and he great, gave me grace. And Man, my life's never been the same. I would love to invite you to my church. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be at the 830 service. I'll save you a seat. I would love for you to come and be my guest. Don't just invite them to come. Invite them to come and be with you. Because nobody wants to walk in a building with thousands of people and be alone. Invite them to sit with you. And I think if we'll take the grace God's given us and pass it on to other people, we won't just set other people free. We'll be set free. Because when you have... When you have hurt and bitterness hanging over your head because of what someone's done to you, you're the victim, not them. Set yourself free by passing on the grace that God's passed on to you. Forgiving people. Forgive people.